You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. We will be reading from Philippians 2, 16 through 24 today. And it says, Holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should rejoice and be glad with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. This is the word of the Lord. Of course, just welcome our guests and uh, folks that have been out traveling and about. See a few uh, familiar faces in the room. Really, really glad to have you here. If we've never met before at all, uh, my name is Will, and uh, it's my joy to be able to open God's word for you this morning. Let me just get you caught up. So we've been in a sermon series called Walking with God, considering this simple point. The God of the universe wants to walk with us, wants to be a part of our lives. And we've been looking at different sort of categories that that fits in. So we've looked at it just in general. What does that mean? We've considered what does it look like to walk with God through prayer? What does it look like to walk with God and cultivate a relationship with him through his word? Uh, What does it look like to walk with God, as Joe brought for us a number of weeks ago, in the midst of pain and suffering? Uh, What does it look like to walk with God in the midst of dark seasons as well? These are all categories that we've been hitting. And I genuinely hope and pray that as, as we've been considering this together, your own personal walks with God have found encouragement. And what we're going to do this morning is, is conclude this series. Um, in the coming weeks, we'll have a couple guests, and then uh, it looks like we'll be in the book of First Thessalonians after that. But before we cl- conclude this series uh, in wa- on walking with God, uh, what I want us to realize is, is that it is not possible for us to walk closely with God without also being caught, caught up into his mission, into his purposes in the world, which could be broadly summarized as, as this, uh, helping other people walk with God. If you are uh, looking for a great way to summarize the purpose of your life, especially as a follower of Jesus, I could, I could summarize it like this. The purpose of your life is first and foremost for you to walk in a love relationship with the God of the universe, and then for you to seek opportunities to help other people do the same thing. Uh, in other words, the great calling, the great purpose on our life as God's people is to know God, to know him, not just facts about him, but to know God. That is why you are on this earth. And so would you pray with me now that the Lord would help us in these moments this morning uh, to, to walk in, in that purpose as his people. And so, Father, here we are. 
we've been considering for weeks now this invitation that you give us to walk with you. I pray first that we would not neglect that invitation, that you, by the conviction of your Holy Spirit, by the summoning of your Holy Spirit, would draw us into deeper communion, deeper fellowship with you through your word, through times of prayer, deeper fellowship with you even as we experience pain and suffering in our lives. And then, Lord, I pray that we would be so impacted by our walk with you that we would be like the woman at the well that quickly encounters Jesus, goes back to her town, and tells everyone she can about this encounter that she had with you. Father, I do pray for our city, those outside these walls, as our society is increasingly secular. Uh, I pray that people outside these walls would, would encounter you. You would send messengers from this church or other churches in the area to make the, the, the gospel known. Lord, I pray on my heart, specifically in this room, are a whole bunch of people that are new to the faith, that are exploring Jesus, maybe for the first time in a long time, maybe the first time ever. I pray that people in this church that need some help learning what it is to walk with you would find in New City Fellowship older spiritual brothers, spiritual sisters, uh, spiritual fathers and mothers that might be so burdened by this call to make you known that they would seek to find these people, take them by the hand, and help them walk with you. Father, I pray that through the ministry of your body, the ministry of your people, as individuals walk into the life and community of New City, they would find people eager to pour out their lives um, upon their faith that they, they might grow in their knowledge of you. And so, Lord, uh, under all of these themes, Lord, would you open your word to us in Jesus's powerful name? Amen. Amen. So, uh, here in Philippians, uh, this passage is not the most popular passage in Philippians, but it captures the theme of what we're after, I think, quite well. And what I want you to do this morning is, is just uh, follow Paul's metaphor this morning, thinking about your life. I want you this morning to think about your life through the metaphor of a cup, okay? And uh, the, this cup is not like a a Yeti a tumbler that's going to last probably for 50 years or so. Like it's a temporary cup. It's like a fast food cup. It's not going to be here forever. Uh, it, it's temporary. It's got a shelf life. And thinking about your life in terms of a cup, what I want you to ask yourself is this. What are you pouring your life into right now? Wh what are you taking the um, energy, the time, the resources that make up your life, what, what are you pouring those things into? Once again, it's a temporary life. We're only here for a short period of time uh, and we've got to pour our life somewhere. So uh, what are you pouring your life out onto? For some, it's possible, maybe you're pouring your life into a really big disappointment. And by that, I mean you're pouring your life into a financial mark, a house, a physical thing. Uh, you're, you're pouring your life into something. And I remember Jim Carrey famously said, the actor, you know, I, I wish everybody in the world could have all the fame, all of the money, all of the uh, wealth that they've ever wanted so that they could realize that it's not the answer. 
you know, coming from someone who's had all of that and been disappointed, there may be some of us in this room that are pouring our lives out on something that will deeply disappoint us if we are uh, unlucky enough to actually receive it. Maybe some of us are pouring our lives into some sort of accomplishment, uh, something that will perhaps make your life memorable after you're gone from here. But even if we do that, the people that accomplish them are usually forgotten within a generation or two. Uh, Maybe you're not putting your thought into what you're pouring your life out into at all. You're just so busy moving through your week, trying to survive. There's no real thought at all as, as far as where your life and your energy is being poured into. Some of you may be having having your life resources and energy actually siphoned from you in a deceptive way. And what I mean by that is you spend so much time scrolling, uh, staring into a screen that literally your life, your hours, your energy is being taken from you without even thinking about it, without even knowing it. Uh, there could be some of us whose life energy, this, this, this cup of ours and the contents in it are simply being uh, evaporated by an action. Uh, what are you pouring your life into this morning? What Paul does in this passage is he sets an example of pouring your life out onto something that really actually matters, that matters. When Paul writes this letter, Philippians, he's in prison and he is very aware that most likely he will die soon. And so he's thinking about the big questions of life, meaning, significance, what really matters, uh, the things that are worth living for. And, And he first in this section describes his life as laboring, toiling, running after something. And then he says, even if I am poured out, There's our our phrase for the morning. Even if I am poured out as a drink offering, what does that mean? In those days, temples were everywhere and there would constantly be sacrifices on the temples in a city like Philippi. And so an expensive animal would would be sacrificed to a particular God to gain some kind of favor. But if you wanted to take an expensive wine, an expensive drink, maybe even some perfume or, or something like that, and you would literally pour out your uh, expensive drink on the offering that was being offered at that temple. And so with that language that Paul is using, what what he's saying is, is my life is largy, my resources, and I am pouring it out on something. And if we were to ask Paul, Paul, in this discussion on pouring out our lives, what are you pouring your life out onto? And he goes on to say, I am pouring out my life as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of, here's the key words that I want us to capture, your faith. I am pouring my life out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Let's look at those two words more closely. First of all, your implies people. Paul is deeply concerned with people and he is pouring his life out for the betterment of people. Even in a few verses later, Paul is gonna send uh, Timothy to Philippi for the simple purpose of checking up on the welfare of those people. So Paul is saying, I am pouring my life out for the sake of people, but not just people in general, though that's significant and important. He says, I am pouring out my life on the sacrificial offering of your Faith, your faith, both the initial faith that the Philippian church put into Jesus when they were initially converted 
and the ongoing trust that they gave him through their life. What Paul is saying is, I am pouring my life out on your faith. In other words, if we were to ask Paul this morning, Paul, what are you pouring your life out for? What he would say is, in our more simple language, is this. I am pouring my life into other people's walk with God. I am pouring my life into other people's walk with God. Here's essentially what Paul would say to us. I am filling my life with a love relationship with the God of the universe. He says later in Philippians that he longs to know Jesus Christ. So I'm filling my life with knowledge, intimate knowledge with the God of the universe revealed to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then I wanna spend my life pouring out that knowledge. You pouring your life onto, he would say, I'm pouring my life onto knowing God and making him known. Knowing God and making him known. I want to walk with God and I want to help other people do the same. The altar that my life is being poured onto is people's relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I simply want us to see this morning is that we as his followers are called to do the same thing. So what does it look like for us to help people walk with God? Two areas that we're gonna explore this morning. I wanna, I wanna first consider the why behind this. Why should we invest our lives? Why should we pour out our lives into helping people walk with God? And then uh, secondly, I wanna consider how uh, do we help people walk with God? And as I talk through these, I'm gonna talk in some terms within the church, though this applies to people outside the walls of our church. This applies to our kids at home. Uh, but helping other people walk with God is the great call that we are giving our lives to. Why should we do it? How should we do it? Let's find our first answer. Why should we pour out our lives so that other people can walk with God? Reason number one is because this really does matter. It matters. It's significant. So again, Paul is aware that he might die soon as he's imprisoned in Rome. He may be executed as a part of his imprisonment. And so a man facing his death is supremely concerned with one thing, standing before the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he mentions all throughout this letter, the day of the Lord, the day of Christ. Uh, he, he has in his purview the moment when he crosses from this life, stands before Jesus, and he wants to make sure the things that he spends his remaining days on matter when he stands before the Lord. And so we can see quite clearly what matters to the Lord in this passage. First of all, in verse 16, he says uh, that he calls the, the Christians in Philippi to hold fast to the word of life. That's the gospel. Uh, and he says that they should do that so that his running and his toiling will not be this, to hold fast to the message of Jesus. And that is the offering that he will present before the Lord when he stands before him. And then we see the significance of helping people walk with God through uh, the, the purpose that Timothy would engage in. So he says in verse 20 uh, that Timothy is someone, I love this, I pray we get our church filled with people like Timothy. He says concerning Timothy, I have no one like Timothy who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. You know, he goes on to say, there are other people who seek only their own interests, but Timothy is someone who is concerned with the well-being uh, of the church. But then he goes on to describe uh, Jesus's concern with the same thing. He says, I have no one 
like him, concerned genuinely for your welfare. Um, for all those, all the others seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Do you see the parallel between Timothy's chief concern and Jesus's chief concern? Uh, Timothy is interested in the Philippians church walk with God because Jesus is interested in the Philippian church's walk with God. The church's walk with God matters to Timothy because this is of supreme interest to Jesus. Jesus is primarily concerned with two things in your life, two things that matter to him a lot. Your relationship with him. He loves you. He died for you. And then he wants to be everything to you. He is primarily concerned with your walk with him. And then he is primarily concerned with you helping others cultivate a relationship with him as well. We help others walk with God simply because this is significant. It matters a lot to God. And as you seek to give and you look back on how you spent your life, so this doesn't just matter to Jesus, it matters a whole lot to you as well. So this year, I, I've started this new journal. It's been great in my life. It's called the Monk Manual. And what it, what it basically has you do is map out kind of your week, your days, and then when you've completed it, actually look back on what happened. And so every week, I try to kind of map out what I have that week, what I want to focus on, what the priorities are. And then this kind of stunning question is asked at the end of every week. What were the meaningful significant moments of your week? What are the things that stood out to you that were significant? And so I write in every single week and I've noticed a pattern, but this past week was, uh, I think, especially noteworthy because it was my birthday week and I'm not telling you how old I turned. It's, it's getting to that point where you get self-conscious about it. But uh, uh, so I got to do some pretty cool things as I looked back on my week, right? Like we had a night away, which was phenomenal. Uh, for the first time in my life, I had Wagyu steak. A friend of mine bought an absurdly priced seven-ounce piece of meat that was incredible. I loved it. It, it, it was great. Uh, you know, I, I had all kinds of cake and celebrations and different things like that. That was great. But as it asked me the question, what were the meaningful moments of your week? Not even the Wagyu steak actually made the list. You know what made the list? Last Sunday, I got to have a really profound conversation with my daughter, Emily, about her own faith, you know, in the midst of church. What made the list was some time we had in community group of hearing people's stories and how they had come to walk with God in their own lives. Some of the discipleship conversations that I had with some of you in this room uh, made the list uh, that week. Like, as I look back on all the busyness, all the experiences, all the stuff that I did, when the dust settled, what actually mattered? It was meaningful connections with other human beings especially if those meaningful connections had to do with them cultivating their walk with God. Friends, our, our, our days turn into weeks, turn into months, years, and that turns into our life, and we have one shot at it. I guarantee when we are laying on our deathbed and the day of the Lord approaches, the things we will look back on that mattered, that were significant, were the connections we had with other human beings, specifically if we were able to connect those people to the God of the universe. Why should we help other people walk with God? Because it matters. It matters to the Lord. Secondly, why should we do it? We should do it for the sheer joy of it. We should help people walk with God for the sheer joy of it. Whether it's our kids, neighbors, people in this church, we should do it for the sheer joy of it. So Paul says, I am pouring out my life as a sacrificial offering, which we would think sacrifice, pain, uh, anguish, 
struggle. But, but he goes on to say the following. Uh, as he talks about pouring out his life, he says, um, upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Later on, he, he wants to get a report from the Philippian church, not just so he can check up on them and make sure they're following the rules. He says, I want to get a report so that I might be cheered, made happy, given joy by the news of you. Paul pours out his life on the faith of other people, but he does it for the sheer joy of it. It is something that I am glad in, something I rejoice in, Paul the apostle says. Um, Perhaps the most frequent analogy for our relationship with God used in the Bible is what? It's, it's usually in the realm of, of farming, gardening, planting. So, so often our relationship with God is compared to a uh, vineyard, a uh, olive tree, uh, a, a tree. Uh, these are all analogies that kind of describe what our lives look like as we learn uh, to walk with God. And uh, what Paul is saying is here, I'm pouring out my life on your faith for the sheer joy of watching your faith grow and blossom. And it, it made me think of one of the great films of the 1990s. Uh, I think it captures the, the struggle of having two working parents. It captures the, the struggle of, uh, you know, uh, relating to people. And it captures the uh, beauty of redemption. The, the film Dennis kids love this movie. They watch it all the time. And uh, pouring out your life for other people, at least having that redeemed in your life, is perfectly illustrated in this movie, okay? So you've got Mr. Wilson, and Mr. Wilson hates people. He's the get-off-my-lawn kind of neighbor, right? He's in his older age. He hates people. He especially hates little kids that bother him, uh, Dennis, who he lives next to. The thing that he loves is what? His garden, He's poured his entire retirement years into creating this beautiful garden outside, and he finds so much joy. The one thing that gives him happiness in life is his garden, but there's one plant in particular. Do you remember the one plant? It only blooms like once every 20 years. He's been pouring into it, investing into it uh, for this night when he's going to invite all of his gardening friends over and have this wonderful celebration. And at the moon, when it rises to the certain part of the sky, this incredible, beautiful plant is going to bloom, but only for like 10 seconds or so. And right as it's beginning to bloom, Dennis is causing some kind of disaster in the back. Mr. Wilson has to take his eyes off of the plants that he's been pouring his life into to focus on Dennis, and he completely misses it. And he's infuriated. The, the peak of his hatred for people is demonstrated in that mo moment. And as a result of it, Dennis gets kidnapped, and uh, the kidnapper goes on to regret kidnapping Dennis. But in, in that process, Mr. Wilson has this epiphany. Mr. Wilson realizes, hey, actually pouring my life into the garden isn't actually that great. What if I were to actually pour my life into like mentoring and taking this young man under his wing? And so the end of the movie concludes with Mr. Wilson uh, finding great joy, finding great delight in pouring his life into Dennis. So this morning, I simply can tell you, especially through the past five years of walking with New City, is that there is no greater joy than pouring your life into someone through a discipleship relationship and watching their life transform and grow. There is perhaps no greater joy than seeing someone come to Christ 
and have their life transformed, especially if you get to play a part in it. We should do this. We should pour out our lives for the sake of helping people walk with God for the sheer joy of it. And then the final reason I will give us to pour out our lives to helping people walk with God is the multiplying impact of it. So this question goes out. Have you ever heard this question? Would you rather have $1 million today? This is all hypothetical. Would you rather have $1 million today or one cent today that multiplies every day for 30 days? How many people? No, just, just answer. A million, you'll take it today and be done with it. Anyone here? You know it's a trick question. That's why you're not raising your hand. How many are taking the penny that multiplies every day for 30 days? If you took that option, you would be left with $5,368,709.12 after taxes and gas prices, maybe half of that is what, is what you would be left with. But that, that, you know, captures, you know, especially for our financial experts in the room, like that captures the, the, uh, the power, the significance of multiplying impact, compounding impact. And both Jesus and the apostle Paul rightly understood the power of a multiplying impact. So think of Jesus's strategy to transform the world. On the one hand, there were times when Jesus had mass world and continues to transform the world, people that he was preaching to. But do you know what transformed the Roman world and continues to transform the world today? His small investment in 12 disciples, and especially really three of those 12 that went on to multiply doing the same thing throughout the Roman world. Paul captures the same. Formed the world was has an investment in a few young men like Timothy. So he says regarding Timothy in this passage, you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. Paul has lots of people he has influence over, but he's pouring his life into a few people, in this instance, Timothy. And Paul has poured his life out into Timothy with a bit of the, a condition that Timothy will go on and do the same thing for other people. So if you still have your Bibles open, turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. This is that one penny multiplying illustrated perfectly. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Paul, at this moment, is, this is his last letter, and he will die soon. And so uh, he, he tells Timothy that his, this is what he needs to do. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What's happening in there? The multiplying impact of discipleship. Paul has invested in Timothy, but he's making sure that it doesn't stop with Timothy. He says, Timothy, you need to go and then teach other people, but not just any other people, any old men. You need to entrust it to faithful men who will do what? Be able to teach others also, multiplying impact, Paul to Timothy, Timothy to the faithful men, faithful men to others who will conduct the same mission. This is the mission strategy that caused the gospel to take over the Roman world, even in the midst of fierce persecution in the first century. If you want to make a mark with your life, if you want to have an impact in places that you will never go, in time periods even that you will not live into, 
pour your life into other people that will go on to pour their life into other people. I remember just being so gripped by this, taking it from the Bible to just a real example here in our church uh, the, the other week. So I, I, was, I was having breakfast with a, a young guy in our church. There's a lot of people in this boat that are sort of at that initial stage of taking steps towards Jesus. And he had told me uh, what was significant about that for me. What was significant about that for me was this. I remember in year one of our church, I started this little group of discipleship called Entrust from that passage right there, entrusting the gospel to other people. So part of this group, I had about five or seven guys with me. We, we were studying together, learning the Bible together, but they all had to have a discipleship plan, some way in which they were discipling other people. And so Diego was receiving from me. I was uh, discipling, pouring into Diego. Uh, but at that time, recently, both Diego and I had, had been a part of watching Pablo come to know Christ. And during that sort of early stage, there wasn't a lot of growth happening. There wasn't much happening, but we just said, Diego, pour your life into Pablo. And I never would have imagined in that moment that I would see Pablo in a position of pouring his life into someone else. But what thrilled me in that meeting wasn't just that this person might find some discipleship, some spiritual care, but the fact that the multiplying effect of the gospel is happening from one person to another person to another person. And friends, this does not happen overnight. Farming is a good analogy. It's slow. It sometimes is unfruitful. But hear me, if you were to take the remaining 20, 30, 40 years of your life and simply pour into one person who will go on to do the same to others. I don't, I don't think I'm speaking hyperbolically when I say that that will change a city, that will change a world by the multiplying impact of making disciples. So we are called to pour out our lives to helping people walk with God. We should do it uh, because it matters. It's significant in the eyes of the Lord. It will be significant to us when we do it. We should do it for the sheer joy of it like Paul did. And we should do it with the just wise investment of our time and life, knowing the, the multiplying impact that it will have. Let's shift with the remainder of our time and consider how, okay? And again, these could be applied, I feel like, in your home, uh, neighbors, uh, anywhere in the, in the church. How can we pour out our lives to help other people walk with God? The first one is obvious, and because it's so obvious, maybe we'll miss it. This would be my church. And even mark out in your calendar for the rest of the week the, the commitment to pray. Just pray. Pray, Lord, I see this call. I've read the Great Commission. I see Paul's example. I see Timothy's example. I want to use my life for this. Would you show me how? Would you perhaps even show me who? we've already seen that this matters to the Lord. Like sometimes we pray and we're like, I don't know, do you really care about this issue in my life, God? Like we can be sure God is concerned with this, that God wants to use you to impact other lives around you. And so my charge to this church, I don't know where you are in your own walk with God, uh, but that you would go home and just say, God, burden me with this call. I wanna pour my life into things that matter. And so would you even lead me to someone that I can perhaps uh, engage in this process too. And then I would urge all of us as a church to first pray and then secondly, come every single Sunday to this elementary school with a Philippians chapter two mindset. I'm gonna explain what that means in a second, but understand the, the mindset of Philippians two is the opposite of our natural mindset when we come to a church gathering. What is our first and foremost 
question when we come to a church gathering. Does this church have what I need? Does this church have what I'm looking for? Has anyone noticed me? Has anyone acknowledged me or taken interest in me? Like first and foremost, I wanna make sure that my needs are being taken care of in this church. Whether we like explicitly say that in our mind or not, that's generally the natural approach that we have coming to a gathering such as this. Paul flips that on his head. Earlier in chapter two with Philippians, he says the following to the church. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Here's the hard part. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not, first and foremost, to your others. I want you to understand that this mindset, this others first mindset is both commanded and necessary, but I would also commend to you this type of others first mindset is the pathway to having the most fulfilling church experience. So I don't know about you. I've, I've been able to travel at different places throughout the country, been to a lot of churches. I've been to some churches before that have some incredible amenities, okay? Uh, so you come in like, I'm sorry, we didn't have to have coffee this morning for you. So, uh, but you know, you can go to churches that not only have coffee, like what latte flavor do you want? Got you covered. Your kids can be picked up by like their favorite Disney character, perhaps at some, at some churches. Uh, playgrounds, play places, all of it included. Um, churches with sermons that are filled with the right balance of inspiration and comedic value. You know, you, you, you leave feeling really warm and great about it. Seats that perhaps are at very least more cushioned than these. Um, we should be thankful that we don't have the straight metal ones from, from the 90s in church. We've got a little bit of cushion on these. But I mean, in these churches, the amenities like uh, you know, even reclining chairs, like bowling alleys, I've seen that before, like great amenities. And you can leave those church experiences like feeling somewhat happy. I assure you of this. You can show up at a church with no amenities at all and where people take maybe even very little interest in you. But if you will show up at church with a, how can I be a blessing to someone else here? You will have a far more fulfilling church experience doing that than a church with every amenity you could ever dream. If you wanna just have kind of a happy, check off the box church experience, just find a church with lots of amenities that meet your needs. If you wanna have a fulfilling, a significant church experience, show up at church saying, I'm not the most significant person here today. Someone else is. How can I be a blessing to them? We've got to show up with this kind of mindset. Uh, number three, how do we go about helping other people walk with God? This word initiative is so key. Uh, you begin by praying. Maybe God brings someone across your path. Maybe God puts someone on your heart. And then you take the initiative with that person to connect on a deeper basis. You set up time to get together outside of church and you just initiate that, make it happen. Don't wait for someone else to do it. You do it on your own. Have someone over for dinner. Set up a play date with your kids. Organize some opportunity outside of Sunday to connect with them, especially if this is the case with people who don't even go to church. Take the initiative to, cult to cultivate the relationship at a deeper level. And I would even say this, there are plenty of you in the room that are just beginning your walk with God or just coming back to it you may, along your interactions at New City, find someone that just stands out to you a little bit, 
the way they parent, the way they pray, the way they seem to understand the Bible just captures you. I would urge you if you're in that position, have the boldness to simply say, hey, I'm a bit new to this. I'm struggling in this area of my life a little. Can I spend some time with you? Can I visit you? Can we meet on some kind of regular basis? Take the initiative to do that. Number four, come up with a plan. Uh, As the relationship grows, propose some sort of way that you can engage on a spiritual level. Uh, Hey, would you be interested in getting together twice a month? Let's open Philippians. Let's just read through it. Let's talk about what we read. Let's talk about our lives and let's pray. That's it. That's what we're going to do twice, twice a month. Um, hey, let's get together once a month in this neighborhood or in this part of the city. Let's just walk together and let's just pray. Let's pray for each other's needs in our lives. Let's pray for things as they come to mind. Let's pray for this city or this neighborhood that we're walking in. Let's just get together once a month and do that. Hey, I'm going through this book. Maybe it's Gentle and Lowly. You can grab it on your way out. Maybe it's some other spiritually edifying book. Would you like to meet twice a month and just work through that with me? We can read a little bit, talk through it. Um, the, the key is simply in that plan considering how you can focus on something that will help encourage someone else in their walk with God. Come up with a plan. Initiate, come up with a plan. Zoom out for a second and talk about New City as a whole right now and our community life and our initiatives outside of Sunday helping one another walk with God. So, Uh, here is our vision statement. We've said it all the time. We desire to be as a church, a diverse community that proclaims the gospel. And here's the thing this morning, makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. So at the very core of why we exist as a church, like why we do anything we do, why we give money, why we participate is all tied to, to this. One of the core reasons is to make disciples. And through the history of our church, if you've been with us for a while, you've seen lots of different structures that we've utilized that have been effective in accomplishing that. So we've done community groups, discipleship groups, regional communities. We've done classes on disciple making. We've done leadership cohorts that focus on these things. Like through the years, lots of structures that helped facilitate helping other people walk with God. And it's no mistake, our church, most churches around the country, COVID has taken us and shaken us up all kinds of ways, whether it's Sunday mornings, whether it's what we do through the week. And we're beginning to regain and recapture what happens here on Sunday mornings. And we've taken steps towards recapturing community life together. We've done discipleship groups. We're putting particular focus on community groups at the moment. And I can tell you this, some good things are happening with these structures of community groups. We've got a couple that are running. Uh, they are both full right now. Uh, and that, that's unfortunate. And it has been a bit of a, a struggle finding people to lead, finding opportunities where this can happen. And I'll be honest, it's not because people are being lazy. Uh, the reason we are struggling getting this off the ground is not because people are just sitting at home twiddling their thumbs. Many of you have obligations, things in your life that do not let you step up and lead in a formal, structured role like that at the moment. To add to that, the Longs, who I don't think would mind just me sharing, Brian is leading this initiative. They've got a lot going on with their, uh, with their youngest daughter right now, medically, that he needs to give his full attention to and so can't do a whole lot helping groups. We pray that discipleship, life transformation is happening within those. Uh, but we, and we hope to launch more in the weeks to come, but I'm just acknowledging from like a top-down 
organized, structural standpoint, our discipleship-making ministry at New City leaves a lot to be desired at the moment. And I don't know why the Lord has left us in this position, but I do know this. If you give me a church filled with people showing up asking, how can I help someone else walk with God? Versus a church with the perfect structure, the perfect plan, all the leaders in place so that we can engage in community life, I will take the church filled with people asking how I can help someone else walk with God any day of the week. And that's not to say that the structures don't matter and that we need to organize things and have leaders and all that. I understand that's important. But if you're asking between the two, if you just have a room filled with people saying, other people are more significant than me in this church, and so I wanna come to church considering how I can be a blessing to them, we will have a far greater impact than the most robust community group ministry out there. So there will be more focus on community group ministry. We will do discipleship training and things like that in the future. But maybe in the meantime, the Lord wants us to learn how to be disciple makers even when the perfect structure does not exist. Maybe he's taking the training wheels off us a bit as a church so we can ride more fully into helping people walk with God on our own initiative, through our own prayers, through our own steps. And so uh, that's the moment that we're in. That's the hour that we're in. What might God be doing through it? How might God use you? How might God use your family to help other people walk with God as we continue to build out our community group ministry? I'll just say this. In our church right now, the amount of people that are either exploring Christianity than there has been in the history of our church, what we need are people who, at the very least, engage in these steps, that pray, that consider the interests of others, that take initiative towards these relationships to help them, and who come up with some sort of plan to help cultivate spiritual growth in people's lives. And that, that just brings us to one more final step in this process of helping people walk with God. As we pour out our lives for others, we've got to remember we are engaged in a program where there are full and forever free refills. Free refills as we pour out our lives on to other people. Because pouring your life out for someone is grand as I might make it sound this morning. Discipling someone as exciting as I might make that sound. It's exhausting. Uh, it will be draining. It will frustrate you at times, leaving you thinking that you never want to engage in this process again. It will leave us at times saying, man, I've been pouring out. And at this point, I just don't have much left to give, even using the language of being burned out. Nothing left. I'm done. If I were to offer one kind of suggestion in the midst of ministry weariness, I would just simply modify that phrase uh, just a little bit. When we often say that I'm being, I've been burned out, what if we simply use the language of I've been poured out? Because what that does is a couple things. A lot of times we pour our lives out into some ministry initiative and we look back, we don't see any immediate results. We don't see any fruit. And so we think to ourselves, what was the point? Well, if it was just being burned out, that's one thing. But Paul uh, frames his energy for the Philippian church in the language of worship. 
So even immediate results, it was still an act of worship. It was still significant. So it does that. But, but the second thing it does is if I'm burned out, there's nothing left. It's just a, a heap of ashes. But if I've been poured out and I'm empty, well, then there's a solution to that. The solution is called being refilled. The solution is called going to the fountain of life. Uh, the, the solution is called going back to the Lord Jesus himself who promises free refills whenever we are weary and he refills our cups so that we might be used again. And that might mean seasons of rest, seasons of break, all that is fine and good. But when we pour our lives out into this work of helping people walk with God, there is a solution to that, a solution of being refilled. And so as we close this morning and we think of pouring out our lives to help fulfill the Great Commission, to helping people walk with God, I want us to close by thinking of this analogy of being poured out as happening in subsequent steps, right? So Paul pours into Timothy. Timothy pours out into faithful men. Faithful men pour out into others. And that continues through men and women throughout church history all the way to New City Fellowship, our lives. But brothers and sisters... This pouring out our lives for the betterment of someone else did not begin with the Apostle Paul. It begins one step higher than that. And it's captured earlier in Philippians chapter two. In 17, that we read this morning, Paul says, I've been emptied out for the Philippian church. But that follows chapter two, verse five. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, and not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Do not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by coming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So as we seek to empty out ourselves to help people walk with God, we only ever do it because Jesus first emptied himself out for us to the very last drop. We give our time to help others. Jesus gave up his equality with God. Philippians says. We give our energy to help others walk with God. Jesus Christ gave his life for you to be able to walk with God. We give up some sleep, some sweat, and tears to help walk with God. But Jesus can literally say, I have poured out my blood, my sweat, my tears, so that the people in this room might have a relationship with God. And so in the context of Paul pouring out his life to help people walk with God, he tells us, hold fast to the word of life. What is the word of life that we're to hold on to? The word of life is the gospel, the good news that we celebrate every week through our service, especially through communion. And the gospel both compels us to help other people walk with God because Jesus first emptied himself for us. We are compelled to do the same. And it strengthens us to help others walk with God. As we consider all that Jesus gave up for us, you know what it does to us? 
our souls are filled with fresh energy. Our cup, so to speak, is refilled with his sacrificial love given to us, where we are not at a place where we just say long for other people to encounter the gospel as well and have their lives transformed. And so let's come to the communion table this morning in just a moment, and let's hold fast to the word of life. The word of life is that God's perfect son emptied himself out for you. Everything, everything Jesus gave up for you. He lived a perfect life on your behalf after he was born as a human being, leaving the privileges and pleasures of heaven uh, to take on human form. He lived a perfect life in your place. He died an excruciating, horrifying death, emptying out his very life for you. And on the third day, his empty, lifeless body was filled back up and he was resurrected by the spirit of God, giving new life to all who put their faith in Jesus. So if you have put your faith in Jesus, you come forward this morning and you hear the word of life. Jesus's body was was broken for you. Jesus's blood was poured out for you. And you hold fast to those truths as we continue to worship. If you're here this morning and you are in a place in your life where you've not put your faith in Jesus, please don't come and take communion but the gospel is yours for the taking this morning. You can take what Jesus has done for you, make it your own by believing and trusting in it. And so let us pray now. Let me invite our communion service forward. And whenever you're ready, you can come from your seats and what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you as we together are filled freshly with these words accompanying these elements. Lord Jesus, thank you. You didn't have to, but you chose to empty your life out for us. I think of when you say, unless a a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. God, thank you for the fruit in this room of you pouring out your life even strugglers in this room, people struggling to hold on to their faith, people struggling in this season of life, man, they are part of the fruit of the life that you gave. So Father, and send us from this place seeking opportunities to help other people walk with God. Lord, for those in this room that don't know you yet, that have not yet trusted, would you draw them to yourself even through the words of these songs? through contemplating forgiveness, through contemplating redemption, through contemplating all that you have given up for us. Father, as we conclude this series, put it deep in our soul, deep in our desires to be people who, number one, walk with you, and number two, seek to help other people do the same thing. Thank you for these truths this morning in Jesus' name, amen.